and welcome back to the Inclusion Solution Live podcast. I'm Gabby Gonzalez, here live in the studio with founder and CEO of the Winters Group, Mary Frances Winters, and we're here to co-host a deeper dive into our new book, Racial Justice at Work, Practical Solutions for Systemic Change. Today, we have one of our esteemed co-authors, Rochelle Yunan Montgomery, who is here to discuss her chapter on accountability through restorative dialogue. Uh, Rochelle, we're just going to check in like we normally do at our meetings. How are you entering today? Hmm, good, good. Uh, my heart feels a little heavy just in kind of reflecting and gearing up um, to talk about accountability. <laughs> um, but really happy to be just with the two of you and having this conversation. It feels exciting. Thank you. Mary Frances, how about you? Checking in really well, um, you know, today. And as uh, Rochelle said, it's good to be with uh, with both of you. And it's good to um, have the opportunity to share with our listeners the different aspects of, of our book, the different topics in our book, and the different perspectives from our authors. So, um, Rochelle, um, tell us about you. Tell us more about yourself, um, your background, who you are, and uh, also tell us you know, what was the impetus for you to write the chapter that you did on restorative dialogue. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, I, uh, I grew up in Minnesota um, and I moved to California uh, for over a decade and recently moved back to the Twin Cities. I live in South Minneapolis on Dakota land. Some of the identities I hold, um, mixed race, uh, woman, cisgender, queer. Um, my mother's white, my father is Egyptian and he immigrated to the US in the 70s. Um, first generation college graduate. I'm a mother. I have two daughters, a one-year-old and a six-year-old. Um, and I'm straight-sized. Um, that's a term I learned recently. Uh, I'm five, two and a half. Not the shortest member of our team, but I discovered, I thought I was. We had a height challenge. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and yeah, I uh, I think those are the most kind of important aspects of my identity I, I want to share. And then my why for the chapter is uh, that I've been in so many work settings where we just haven't done a very good job of um, being honest, being truthful, having hard conversations when we need to, um, you know, correct injustice and repair harm. Um, and I think working relationships, human relationships, any, any relationship really involves rupture and repair. And it's sort of this cycle that's normal. Things might happen where we we cause harm and then we have a choice to move toward healing and repair or to you know bury the pain um, and sort of move move on in a way that's rooted in dysfunction and um, yeah and causing harm and trauma. So I think I've seen it modeled really well and I've seen it also I've seen, yeah, times and experience situations where accountability is like a dirty word and we don't want to be accountable to ourselves or one another. Uh, and I've just seen how much harm that's caused. And so that's my why. Wow. Yeah. And we see that not only in the workplace, right? We see that in um, our personal lives as well, right? Um, where people cause harm and, and they don't know how to have the conversation to repair it, um, and so it, go left, it gets left unsaid. And so I see the parallels to um, 
to what you talked about from a workplace perspective, because we learn behaviors and those behaviors that we learn in our personal life, we carry over into our into our work life as well. Yeah, so that's really powerful. So true. And then you layer on top of that racial justice. Given that, what does racial justice mean to you, Rochelle? And how do you see that factoring into these uh, conversations? Yeah, as I was thinking about this, it um, thinking about, for me, I think racial justice really um, means that white folks and non-Black people of color are crystal clear in the ways that we perpetuate colorism, anti-Black racism, and harm, both historically and moment to moment. And so um, I, you know, I have to share a story about this. So recently I was in a, a you know, client session where we were talking about the term cultural competence. And, you know, there's someone, a cis white man kind of in the back of the room, like sharing um, that, what does this have to do with me, essentially? Like what, you know, a lot of distancing, a lot of, you know, well, though those people in Afghanistan, for instance, uh, you know, not allowing young girls to read is just plain wrong. And so I have to, you know, I've got some moral absolutes that I think are actually really important. Um, and so in the process of, of that, uh, you know, there, there were women of color in the group, including the, you know, facilitator who he was interrupting constantly, right? And so in, in the way that he was showing up, it sort of became clear, like, oh, we're, you know, we're causing harm unknowingly and the pain of i think recognizing and getting curious about that um is sometimes for folks unbearable to the point where they want to just point the finger right and i've done that in my own life like there have been many times that um instead of leaning in with curiosity or with a sense of humility it's been more about um you know protecting my ego or uh, you know, wanting to ground into my goodness. And so, oh, well, if I'm a good person, then I must not, you know, be racist or have, you know, anti-Black uh, racism within how I'm socialized. And so I think, I think what I'm craving and wanting to hear more of in the work we do is um, just a sense of loving accountability for oneself of like getting clear, like, all right, I messed up. And I'm going to develop some shame resilience in myself to first admit, right, to tell the truth uh, to myself and acknowledge like, ah, I messed up. I caused harm. Take time with that. Slow down, right? Like grieve, feel the pain, but recognize the pain you feel in that moment pales in comparison to the pain that the Black community is feeling, right? Like we have no idea. I have no idea. Um, and so to have some humility, like the pain I'm feeling about the shame and the, you know, whatever I just did to mess up, that's real and valid, but should never, you know, come at the cost of centering or, you know, or be about centering my own discomfort or my own experience, if that makes sense. Um, so I was thinking a lot about that. So so in, the, in your chapter, um, you actually um, provide some very specific um, skills, some very specific models of ways to um, have conversations. Would you like to, to tell us about um, some of those and how, perhaps how you've used them and the um, 
the success that, that you've had? So a model that's helpful is, is uh, called open the front door. O stands for observe. So you're naming and noticing a reality of a situation. For example, I might say, hey, I'm noticing my colleagues being interrupted in this conversation uh, pretty frequently. Um, so that's the first step. Just name and notice something everyone can agree on. Um, T is what you think about it. So T stands for think. So then you'd say, you know, I'm, you'd share what you think. So maybe it's, um, you know, I think it would be really beneficial to hear everybody's perspective in this conversation um, without interruption. So then that's the second part. The third part is um, OTF feel, feel, right? Your emotion, how you feel about it. So rather than leading with uh, the emotion, we we have a, a few steps before that. So then it's how you feel. So you might say, I'm feeling really frustrated. This is happening. Um, and then the last part is D, which is desire. What is your desire or your request moving forward? How can How can we make it right? How can the other person make it right? And so getting clear about that is important. So then D would be, yeah, I'd like to request that we all go around and share equally um, moving forward. Would everyone be okay with that? So it's a simple framework, I think, especially when there's heightened emotion, when it's scary, when it's uh, maybe new territory, maybe there's some power dynamics at play um, that could have real consequences. So it's more... Um, a tool to use in situations, I think, as you start out, maybe lower stake situations outside of work. <laughs> maybe it's in your, uh, in a, you know, relationship, friendship, community, faith, um, you know, community, different settings that don't have like a paycheck attached to it <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> uh, but then, right, as you start to get some familiarities, build some muscle muscle memory and practice the skill of like getting clear with yourself about your desires and your needs and your truth, um, you know, beginning to practice that maybe with your peers at work um, and, and going from there, right? Getting a, getting a sense for uh, sort of the appetite for those kinds of conversations. It may not go well, right? Like that's a reality. It may... It may result in, uh, you know, some awkwardness. It, you know, you may not have your desire met. But then there's another layer of a skill that's important is to um, develop the the sort of self love and regulation skills to 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 move through it. Right? Like other people aren't going to fix our pain or our trauma. We can make a request for that. Um, but to to get clear with yourself, like. Okay, that either went the way I wanted it to or it didn't. What are the tools and resources I have now to move toward my own healing um, aside of someone else, you know, outside of someone else's response? Yeah. Wow, that's great. Taking care of yourself, making sure you're attending to your own well-being in the, in the situation because it can be stressful and traumatic, you know, for you to even have to, to feel that you have to use that um, model um, not knowing how the other person might uh, might respond. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes me um, wonder. Like, is there, there? I love the emphasis on the self work. I'm wondering if there's anything that you can do to kind of lay the groundwork um, interpersonally. Yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to share. I um, so this idea of telling the truth no matter what, including telling the truth to yourself. So I'm reading a book right now called The Way of Integrity by Martha Beck. She was Oprah's life coach for many years. 
And she challenges readers to try this out for a week where you tell the truth, um, even including things like uh, white lies, you know, where we, we don't we don't even tell a white lie. Like we just practice and, and you know, in, in small ways. Um, and so I think of that through the lens of compassionate truth telling or loving accountability and getting clear internally first before we start practicing it with other people. Um, that includes our, our preferences, our traumas, our confusion. Um, if, an, if a microaggression just happened, for instance, just clarifying within yourself, like what, what even was that? So often we don't even know what just happened. It's like quick, right? It's in the midst of a you know, work conversation or moving through, trying to be productive, but it's, it's this like catches you off guard. Or if you're someone who said a thing and caused harm, getting clear with yourself, like, I think I just messed up there. Like, I think I just said something like that doesn't sit right in my gut, in my body. Something's happening. I don't know what. And like, take a minute with yourself, right? Like move away from the computer, grab a pen and paper, write down what the heck just even happened. Like breathe, feel what you're feeling. Take a minute, right? Take a pause, walk. right? Pause. <laughs> exactly. Like just slow, like slow down. Right. I think that's where mindfulness can be useful in our work. Um, and so kind of Gabby, to your point, that self-work, um, I, I wrote a blog about this as well on our website of Resma Menicum talking about the difference between clean pain and dirty pain mm -hmm. and, tr and that truth telling is painful, right? And so he talks about clean pain in his book, My Grandmother's Hands, being, you know, saying the thing or doing the thing you know you need to say or do, even though it's super uncomfortable and painful and awkward. Um, and then, right, helping us move toward healing. Uh, dirty pain, on the other hand, is this blame, shame, avoidance, distancing, <laughs> that's not me, right? Um, which ultimately, you know, perpetuates the harm, um, you know, racial inequity, racial injustice, racial trauma. And so, and we bury it, right? And it ends up coming out sideways in other ways. When we bury our pain, it, it comes out, but we just take it out on each other. We take it out on our loved ones. We take it out on ourselves. Um, so it's there, whether we acknowledge it or not, it, it is there. And I think that can, especially with racial justice work, um, is just so critical to, to hold space in your yourself, your body, regardless of your experience in the world, to feel the reality of what you're feeling, to slow down um, and to move through the clean pain of like acknowledgement um, and perhaps a conversation comes out of that, maybe not, but just with yourself, right? Getting clear about your own truth in that moment, in that situation, so that you can do the next right thing, right? Um, so I think that's that's a powerful framework as well. So in the in your chapter, um, you talk about, um, and and this is I think the term that um, we would use for some of the things you're talking about is restorative mm -hmm. dialogue. And so what makes, um, talk a little bit more about what would make the dialogue restorative. Yeah, thanks for that question. I think, um, you know, I think the spirit with which we enter into a dialogue matters. You talk about this in your work, Mary Frances, of bold, inclusive conversations. Like so much of restorative dialogue happens with ourselves first, um, getting clear about our needs, traumas, preferences, 
And then entering into dialogue uh, with curiosity, right? Dialogue instead of debate. It's another um, you know, language that we use at the winners group. And so, yeah, just, just going in with, with curiosity, it might be really scary. You might be shaking, your, your heart might be pounding out of your chest. I've had these experiences, but it's restorative because you're restoring you know, an element of a relationship. You're going into it mm-hmm. with the hope of something being generative, something being transformative, right? being transformed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so that would be the, the hope mm-hmm. as opposed to having our walls up or, right. you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to one-up you right now. I'm going to mm-hmm. outwoke you right now. I'm going to use language you, can't, you don't even understand. I'm going to out-intellectualize you. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear so you can change and learn and grow. Like, no, I mean, there, there's a lot of that in this work. Maybe that's effective for some folks, but I, what I have found to be more effective is that curiosity and that clarity of like, hey, I might be making up this story in my head about what's going on. Can you help me understand like where you're coming from? And you may come to resolution and you may not. But I think so much of it is about your goal <laughs> for the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for that um, in terms of uh, restorative. And it's about you trying to restore the relationship. I think there's so much polarization in our world today, right? Where people just dig in. This is my opinion. And this is your opinion. And, you know, never we, we, we just cannot come together. But and you mentioned, you know, the goal of the conversation, you know, as well. What, what are we trying to achieve here? And if we're trying to achieve a win-lose, you know, in, in debate, well, then that's gonna it's gonna go one way. But if we are trying to restore the relationship or preserve the relationship or come to a greater understanding or be curious, it's just so um, it's just so important to understand, you know, what that you know what, what that goal is. I'm reminded of a situation that I had um, recently, and it um, was in a session. I was the presenter at the session. It was a virtual session, and we did a um, we were doing a pre um, they called it a dress rehearsal for the session, and the person who would be introducing me and the convener of this session kept calling me Mary, and my name is Mary Francis, and so I um, corrected her once and I said it's Mary Francis, and she kind of blew it off. She says okay, and then she called me Mary again, and I didn't say anything. And then the third time um, I, you know, took the opportunity, you know, there's there's um, something that we sometimes talk about too, is kind of about the ouch and educate. Mm-hmm. So on the, the third time, I just, I said, I'm, you know, I, I really, um, I know that we don't have a lot of time in our, you know, we're getting ready for the session and I know that you're going to be introducing me and I just want to make sure that you know that um, and, and that you heard me say that my name is Mary Francis, um, not, you know, not Mary. And, um, it was in a big group. Well, not a big group. There were about 10 people there. And I didn't want to have an awkward, I'm the speaker. I didn't want to have an awkward, you know, situation. Um, so, and I don't know that I restored. The thing is, Rochelle, Gabby, I don't know if I restored the relationship because I don't know her really, except in this in this context. So do you have any advice for in the moment kinds of situations where it might not be uh, as comfortable calling someone out in the moment because of the context. Mm, 
Absolutely. Well, what stands out to me about that story, Mary Frances, is that you were crystal clear about your need in that moment, right? Like mm -hmm. you were clear with yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, my name is Mary Frances. Mm -hmm. um, and you've experienced this likely many, 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 many times, right? So it's not yeah. like this is a one-off sort of out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. This happens mm -hmm. from what I've heard you share, right? Like mm -hmm. in a recurring, a recurring basis. So um, for you, you know, you had a clear preference, you had shared it, you didn't have a lot of time, you'd let her know multiple mm -hmm. times. Um, and I think I, I've come to realize at least the more I've been doing this work, like to be at peace with certain relationships being transactional. Like I'm not mm -hmm. trying to be in relationship with the person introducing me for a session. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'll be kind, right. I'll, be, I'll tell the truth. Mm -hmm. um, I'll be respectful. I will do the thing I came to do, right? Mm -hmm. And the nature of that relationship is more transactional. And that's mm -hmm. fine. That's cool. Like, we don't mm -hmm. have to be best friends, but we have to have regard for each other's humanity. And so when mm -hmm. I'm feeling erased, when I'm feeling like I made a request, uh, you invited me to do this thing, and now that's being violated, um, I need to say something, right? Mm -hmm. And so maybe, right, so in the moment, you did, you know, you did what you did to, to share your preference, mm -hmm. whether that's honored or not is on that other person. And then you've got right choices to make about in that moment. It's often split second, like, right, which will also impact the energy you're bringing to, you know, whatever you're doing, the keynote, the session, the group then may, you know, there, there are just there's vibes that we can touch into <laughs> that aren't tangible. But it's like, again, that that inner source of like, all right, so-and-so didn't respect it this time, like that that's painful. And this isn't this happens all the time. And I'm here to do a thing. Where can I move through this? Focus on what I'm here to do, right? And maybe a conversation happens later, maybe it's a follow-up email, like making it right, giving that person an opportunity to make it right, but also like people don't have time for that and you may not have energy for that and you're doing a million things. So like maybe it's you're, it's on to the next thing and sort of good information to have for next time working with that particular person. You know? That's and so key, right? We have to know, we have to know inside of ourselves what's going to make it right for, for me. Yeah. Kind of like almost regardless of what's going on with that other person. Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. Gabby, you were going to. Oh, I was just going to say that you took care of yourself and mm -hmm. in hindsight, for me, I know that I always feel better when I speak up for myself and when I don't. Mm -hmm. So I feel like. But that could be different for different people too, right? Sure. I mean, I, I think that, um, I think we have to allow that for some people, it may not be um, worth it to speak up for themselves in, a, in that kind of a situation mm -hmm. because they are um, protecting their well-being. Mm -hmm. uh, because I know for me, even to bring it up uh, was stressful. It caused, you know, it created an emotion, right? Because, okay, now I have to bring this up and I'm getting ready to give this talk. But it was important for me when she introduced me, not to introduce me as Mary, right? And so that was why it was, that's why it was so important in that particular context. Perhaps in another context, if I was just in the meeting with them and I wasn't the keynote, you know, speaker, it may not have been. And so I think what, what I'm hearing um, is um, that we have to look at, the, things are situational. Mm -hmm. But to have the tools and the skills to know how to respond, like having a methodology, you know, the um, open the door, you know, I observe, right? This is what I'm thinking, right? So it, it 
it helps us to have a framework to put around something because we never know when something's going to come up when we're going to need to have uh, you know a conversation and we want to have a conversation so that's what you do so beautifully um, in the in the chapter giving people tools hmm. yeah thank you and and they've I've seen them modeled which is why I believe in them you know I've seen it done and it's rare but I think Mary Frances with the work you do with our team and you know I, I see you do this all the time <laughs> I've, I've worked with other colleagues who who do it and I, I try to practice it. I think I have so much to learn and so easy to talk about it another to right put it into practice. Mm -hmm. Oh yes. Um, so and that's, and that's the key practice, right? Because we yeah. do have to practice. If we don't practice, it's not going to become a habit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think it, it comes back to this truth telling idea. I'm trying this out actually this, this week. So I'm trying it out. I'm trying it out, uh, just telling the truth. I'm, it's sort of fun with my husband. Uh, we've been talking about like, okay, you know, with little things even, preferences around what to watch on TV, preferences, but it requires me pausing in every moment, every choice point, which there are millions every day to just like take a minute, take a beat. Like, what do, what do I actually want? Like, what do I want to eat tonight for real? What, instead of just the people pleasing, like, you decide. Um, it's and so there are these one degree turns. She she calls them, and I think with racial justice, like tying it back to a work setting and using these tools. Um, ultimately, it's about truth telling in small ways. Whether it's a preference about when to have a meeting, whether it's a, a you know a preference about, um, hey, like I'm really you know introverted and. and uh, maybe there's racial dynamics at play as well and power dynamics where I'm needing a little time and space from a thing. Maybe I need, you know, um, perhaps you're neuro neurodivergent. Like there's so many intersections with truth telling and one degree turns. And so again, that might be met with receptivity and it might be met with like, sorry, not today. And, and that's okay. And so being, again, having those skills uh, to hear to hear however someone might respond to your truth is important. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's hard, but then in the end it sounds like being able to tell the truth allows you to really just show up as yourself, which eventually will lead to some ease, I would hope, because you're not spending so much effort trying to edit yourself or mm -hmm. try to edit what you say. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, and like integrity, right? That's like this idea of I'm aligned, my insides and my outsides match. <laughs> when we're conflicted internally and say a thing we don't mean or isn't true for us, like it makes us physically sick. Like there's, I, I have experienced that, that kind of stress. So. Um, Do you think there are some boundaries though? I mean, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. <laughs> uh, because what about um, when you know that if you tell the absolute truth, it's going to do harm to someone else. It's going to hurt someone else. So I know that I sometimes mm -hmm. edit because I don't want to, and, and and I think I think about what is the cost to me yeah. for not being absolutely um, open and truthful, and what is the cost to the other person? And so if I think that the cost to the other person is going to be greater than the cost to me, then I might not tell the whole truth. Are we getting very close here? <laughs> well, yeah. I I love this kind of stuff. I mean, I think that there's a strategy with your, right? You could be strategic about your truth telling. I, I think the idea with this is 
you're not, um, you don't just say whatever you think at any given moment, um, but recognizing sometimes that, you know, so omissions of truth, what is that like when you're silent about something that also could mean that you're not in your full integrity or telling the truth, right? And so, but being strategic, right? Mm -hmm. um, and recognizing like someone else's journey toward healing is their choice. So sparing someone's short-term feelings um, for long-term, like maybe peace. I don't know that that's, uh, yeah, I, I, I wonder, I have a curiosity about it because is it really peace or is it, again, a thing that might come out later in a different way, you know? And then it's cultural too, because yeah. you, know, you know about peace over truth, right? That yeah. there are some cultures that go for peace over, you know, over truth. That's what's, you know, taught to them. So this is all very complex. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I, I never want to like moralize or say one way is better than another necessarily too. It's more kind of what I'm experimenting with in this phase of my life. And I could, you know, might change my mind, uh, you know, next year, next month. Um, but it's, it, again, a tool, I think, that is helping me move toward that inner clarity. And yeah, Gabby, like you mentioned, that more, just more ease in the day-to-day. -day. I like the ease. Although now I'm wondering, I'm like, what has Mary Frances not told me? <laughs> <laughs> Spare your feelings, right? <laughs> uh, we can talk later. No, I'm only that's the thing. But the thing is, like, if I could just say, you know, Mary Frances, like, there have been so many moments you're just, you just say the thing and maybe short term, it's a little uncomfortable. Like, hmm, yeah, I got to sit with that. Or even, even if it's something where, like, we're not in agreement, per se, I, I have a respect and a deep admiration for the way you tell the truth, like, mm -hmm. with our team. Um, so, because I don't have to wonder, <laughs> like, I think the wondering and the making up stories in my head causes more suffering, causes more spiraling and like, oh, what do I need to do to, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, be in good regard, but I feel like you kind of just, it's helpful. I think your leadership style for me at least is helpful. <laughs> no, same. It pushes us to grow, I think. Yeah. So thank you for that. Very grateful for you. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should hear more about it because I'm not sure what it is specifically. <laughs> we'll talk later. We will talk later. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, well, Rochelle, thank you so much for joining us. And you know, this conversation has been deep and wonderful and grounding. Um, but through it all, this, you know, we've all acknowledged at some point that this is exhausting work and fatiguing. <laughs> And I believe we talked about this before, but um, I, I'm sure you have more to share about this. Like, how do you fill your cup to keep this work sustainable for you? Yeah, I think there's, um, for me, I, I've been moving toward, uh, how do I say that? Like, I don't take it as, as seriously maybe as I used to. Uh, I think I shared this in our last conversation. Like, I'm coming from a place of, taking so so much of the world on kind of taking it taking the weight of the world on my back and recognizing that actually doesn't help me be effective so i think i'm just learning where to like release release and not be the um one to mm. maybe work on a particular issue or work on a particular i don't know like 
it's hard to explain. I think I'm moving more inward as opposed to outward. Like I'm, I, I enjoy the work I do in the world. Like I feel so lucky to be doing this work um, with this team specifically and having the chance to speak and write and educate and, and create transformational experiences for people. But what I'm re and what I'm really invested in at this phase in my life is, is more of that inner work um, and recognizing and noticing how it sh shapes the way I show up. Um, because I've for so long shown up in a way that's coming from a place of saviorism or coming from a place of like needing to save the world, so to speak. Um, but it wasn't super useful. <laughs> in fact, I think it was detrimental, like for the movements, um, toward justice for, uh, even my own just sense of well-being. So I think I'm, I'm learning like where I really want to put energy and like, lend voice and where I'm hanging back and recognizing like, that's not my work. Hmm. Mm. That's, that's cool. That's fine. Like, I think there's a lot of good people, a lot of incredibly talented, brilliant humans, like doing good in the world. And I can learn so much from them um, and support, but maybe from back here, you know? So yeah, maybe taking more of a back, back seat in certain things is helpful. And then just like on the lighter side, I spend time with my kids. <laughs> I play, I find time for play and music and um, I host karaoke nights uh, with friends. Um, I make yeah. good food. Yeah, just um, I get outside, nature is important to me. Uh, just remembering, remembering the cycles of growth and the seasons, living in Minnesota especially, um, is important to be outside all year, all year long. Um, so yeah, lightness and play is another one. I just want to say I am always so humbled and inspired by your humility. It always comes across. So thank you for that. Thank you. This has been an incredible uh, conversation. And I love the, the play part. And your girls are so incredibly cute. I, I um, They are fortunate to have, to have you as a mom. Um, and um, just uh, be well and continue to... Uh, shine because you you truly do and um, we learn so much from you about mindfulness and about the pause and about you know breathing and um, getting clear clear on what our what what your work is to do and what your work is not to do I think that's so important for everybody to know um, I have a uh, my pastor says everybody can't do everything but everybody can do something and finding out what that something is is so so key so thank you both for for being here and thank you gabby for continuing to co-host um this series and until next time continue to reimagine racial justice at work thank you so much thank you